Hello and welcome to Pursuit of Infinity, a podcast where we explore the depths of human consciousness and delve into the fascinating world of psychedelics. After a short break, Joe and I are back with our first ever episode with both of us in front of the camera. For those eager to catch a glimpse of our faces, head over to the YouTube version to watch the video. Today's chat delves into the intriguing world of non-human intelligence, or NHI. While UFOs often act as a gateway into this topic, NHI extends far beyond, covering areas like artificial intelligence, psychedelics, and unexplored dimensions. Join us as we navigate through the mysteries that lie at the heart of life and the great unknown in our conversation today on non-human intelligence. But before we get to it, as always, you can visit our website, PursuitOfInfinity.com, where you can not only listen to the podcast through our integrated media player, but find all the places you can follow us as well. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a sub, a five-star rating, or even a review, as these things play a crucial role in extending the reach of our discussions as widely as possible. If you're an avid listener and you want to show us some extra support, you can head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash pursuitofinfinity and become a patron. In return, you'll get some great stuff. So head on over there for the details. Give us a follow on Instagram at Pursuit of Infinity Pod to keep up with news and episode drops, as well as memes and general musings. Also, below you'll find links to our Discord server and YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash at Pursuit of Infinity. All of our episodes are always posted there in video format, as well as an array of shorts that we have been putting together on a regular basis. Now, with all of that out of the way, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's discussion. So since our last episode where we talked about non-human intelligence, UFOs, UAPs, uh, what's in the news? What's been going on lately with this topic? So the biggest news is um, the NDAA, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act for 2024. Um, there, there's an amendment put in there called the Schumer Amendment, and it had all sorts of UFO legislation. And it was being like debated, like often with these like uh, bills and stuff, they they discuss it and they take stuff out, put stuff in, you know, they negotiate. And basically, they're like a handful of guys that ironically, they're all linked to like um, weapons manufacturers and stuff. They're all like donors from Lockheed and whatever. But these congressmen uh, put their foot down on the UFO aspect of the bill, the Schumer Amendment. And they started basically ripping out all the important stuff. So the biggest thing that happened was, like, it, it, it is a step forward at the very least because there's um, at least some legislation going through. But the two big things in the bill were uh, there was, like, a, a part of the Schumer Amendment that was about eminent domain, which would allow basically more or less for Congress to basically seize whatever, you know, uh, craft, whatever type of objects, biologics, um, whatever like Lockheed has, any weapons manufacturers, these private companies that supposedly are uh, holding this material, they would have eminent domain over it so they could come and, you know, take it basically if they don't give it up. 
and that got pulled out of the bill, which was huge. So that's like a big, a big hit. Um, and then the other thing that got pulled out, which was important, was I guess what was supposed to happen was there was going to be the president was going to have like a committee under him regarding UAP of like nine people. And it was is going to be like I forget all of them, but it would be like a scientist, an economist, a socialist, like or not socialist, like a psychiatrist. I don't know, like all these people from you know, different fields that would discuss the topic and then kind of plan how to tell the people about it. You know, it's, it's just like a little committee to help push for disclosure. And that got pulled out, too. So basically, the two biggest things in the bill got pulled out. I know there was an aspect to it as well, where they're following the recent legislation that happened a few years ago about JFK. They put legislation through uh, about the JFK assassination where they promised to release the documents and stuff. So they actually formulated this bill part of it off of that, which isn't great because we never got those documents either. So um, I don't know exactly what happened with that, but there was like a plan in this bill for um, at, at, uh, at most uh, 25 years, everything will have to be put out. So, the biggest story of it is the fact that they pulled out the real juicy stuff, really. Do you feel like a guy like Chuck Schumer is what we would consider corrupt? Uh, probably, I would assume. So my question is, why would a guy like that introduce all of these particular uh, details that seem to be against the interests of the establishment? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Because, like, the way I look at it is there has to be at least some benefit. Like, all these different factions are fighting over disclosure. People who are trying to keep it hidden, people who are trying to pull it out. Each of them has something to benefit from it. So I'm assuming, like, because for the most part, our government actually doesn't know anything about this. Or they're being like our elected government, our Congress, our Senate, they even the ones like Schumer that are aware of it, they still don't have power to touch it. So I'm assuming they want power to touch it. You know what I mean? Because um, right now it has no r real like government oversight as far as Congress or the Senate or the House or anything like that. As far as I know, there's really, it's like all hidden by the Pentagon. So, so it, does it seems like maybe, sense. yeah, like maybe they're, they're like, you know, our Senate, Congress, our elected officials are trying to pull it from like the security state. Yeah, because it seems that by the way you're describing it, it would be in his best interest to introduce this type of legislation because then they would have congressional oversight. They would be able to put their hands on it if they wanted to technically. So, yeah, OK, that 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 does make sense. It's so strange but here that for once in our life. It seems that we're like rooting for our government because they're on the right side of this issue. Some of them. So like Some there's this guy. Yeah, this guy, Mike Turner. He's like one of the big names that um, uh, he's like a Republican congressman. And uh, he represents the district of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is interesting because in like UFO lore, Wright-Pat is basically in a lot of stories of craft uh, crash retrievals and other stuff. It's like supposedly at that base, there is uh, stuff being held, but it's just ironic. 
he represents that district. And um, his also his biggest donors are, I know, Lockheed, uh, Raytheon, and there's like two other giant weapons manufacturers that are his uh, biggest donors. So it's just like right in your face. And then I saw like people ask him about it, like, you know, in an interview. And it's just amazing how this topic is so like stigmatized because he could just like brush it off like it's nothing. And then nobody, you know, inquires any further. It's like it's because too much of the public doesn't know how important this actually is. So it's easy to kind of brush off like and he doesn't really have to answer for it that much. Do these defense contracting companies compete with each other directly or do you think they work with one another because they're the only ones that seem to have access direct access to this technology i i feel like they might not be working together i think it might be separate because like another big issue with bringing this forward is um there's like a huge economic issue as well because See, this means if this is all true, that we recovered craft and we handed it over to um, these defense contractors, that means that the government uh, put favor onto certain companies, private companies. So, like, let's say we gave uh, Lockheed all this stuff and we didn't give any to Raytheon. So now that's going to affect their stockholders. So it's like showing uh, gover- government favoritism in the free market. So it's like it's there's a big economic issue there, too, because this is like billions and billions of dollars with these companies, maybe more with this tech. It could be, you know, priceless. Um, but, you know, this all comes out and it turns out the government gave this company something and their uh, shale- or their shareholders are benefiting from it while this company is is being hurt from it, you know, things like that. So. That's another issue with it. And it seems like uh, it might just be spread out amongst them a little bit. But I wouldn't be surprised to hear that they weren't working together. It's just all so compartmentalized from what I understand. So if I had to guess, I would say that they're basically independently working on it. And um, I know one of the big parts about this, the a repeating... Uh, thing that I keep hearing about this is like in the public is they really want to get um they want to release this stuff so they can get more scientists working on it because it's so compartmentalized where you know all of our best minds can't work on it it's like uh, secluded to like these small numbers of people in these companies and uh, you know supposedly there's not much progress being made in all these years I guess they say that You know, they bring it out and people work on it, work on it. They make very little to no progress and then they put it away for a couple years and bring it back out with other people. And then they've just been doing this for decades and decades. Yeah, that seems to be the opposite of how we generally conduct ourselves when it it comes to uh, like scientific innovation and, and technology, you know, because you would have such a wide range of viewpoints. Because I know one of the reasons that they said um, Bob Lazar was brought in was because he had a different perspective than what they usually hired to come on to their, uh, you know, to to their programs. So it seems that if they would let this out and just let everybody open source this type of technology, 
um, then they would be able to get farther along. But I understand that there are implications from foreign powers because we aren't the only ones that are in contact with um, non-human intelligences, and we're not the only ones that have uh, crash retrievals, right? That's what they say. Like um, whistleblower Dave Grush, he he pretty much talked about it like it's a Cold War, like a weapons race for this stuff. Like kind of how, you know, um, back in the day we were all fighting to get the nuke, whoever got the nuclear warhead finished. It's a similar situation happening. Um, but yeah, it's always like going to be the excuse to not put this stuff out due to national security. It's like whoever, you know, makes the most progress with this technology is going to weaponize it and they're going to rule the world, basically. Um, but the thing is, it's like you can put this out and allow people to work on it and just not allow them to work on the weapons applications. Like the same way in universities today, we have people in university right now studying like nuclear technology, nuclear physics, nuclear energy all this different stuff. And um, so there's no reason why we couldn't have people at least learning and, you know, investigating the technology and not the weapons applications of it. Yeah, it almost seems to me that there's some sort of financial incentive um, for them to be keeping this under wraps. You know, I know I've always heard the term or the phrase that the government is 20 years ahead of us in terms of technology or whatever. And I often wonder, like, maybe it's like thousands of years. Maybe they have millions of years of technology that we don't know. And there's a concerted effort or a plan to trickle it out over time because with technology comes, you talk about shareholders, with technology comes products. And you probably want to, if you're a government that has control of technology that can transform what we think of as a product of, say, energy, um, just for one example, then you would want to sort of trickle that out to control the market, to control, because, man, it seems that technology and the types of things that we would be spending our money on would do, like, two things. It would make all the other businesses in terms of energy and a lot of, of the things that we purchase and, and consume obsolete. It would make that, it would make a lot of businesses go out of business. Um, and it would make a lot of things far less profitable, which would uh, shake up our economy quite a bit. And it would also introduce the ability for companies to make all kinds of crazy brand new technologies that are probably limitless. And I don't think that there would be a way to sort of control what we could do because the type of technology we're talking about here is stuff that will completely revolutionize what we think technology even is. So it seems to me that like things would get crazy really, really quick in terms of what we'd have access to. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, like the main, uh, thing that I imagine they would be interested in is the energy source because it seems like these things are not using they're clearly not using like combustion who knows what they're using but if we could tap into the energy source like it's speculated that it would basically be free energy and we wouldn't need to use oil like so this would hit 
our our world in like every way possible. So, you know, would that stop a lot of wars? Probably. I mean, how many wars are fought over oil? Um, if oil becomes irrelevant, you know, if we can have one tiny device power your whole house or power everything you need, I mean, who knows how it works? It could be something so crazy that we couldn't possibly imagine. So I have a feeling that's a big part of keeping it um, hidden as well is to just keep this whole game playing of like, you know, fighting over energy and, you know, the it seems like it's possible that we could have abundance from this technology. Like everybody could have abundance, but in order to control people, you have to keep them desperate and lack, you know, it's just a weird game being played. Yeah. You know, when you talk about abundance being something that would be abundant um, in this world that we live in, we have winners and we have losers. And in order for there to be a winner at the level that America and the Western world is winning, there's got to be a lot of people around the world who are losing hard. And it seems that if abundance becomes more abundant, more accessible, then that dichotomy, that balance would be thrown completely off. I think that's another reason why they want to keep it under wraps because a lot of these countries that uh, are not "Quote unquote civilized." I just think of Hamas as as one of these these uh these organizations, or you know, very poor countries. They might have access to a lot of power and a lot of things that could not just make them a like a physical threat, but also an economic threat. Yeah, and I, I often think about this with even just like our technology that we have publicly right now. It's like our science advancements are, are so crazy, like that we have all this wild technology, but like our our spiritual selves, like our, our consciousness hasn't risen high enough to use this technology properly. So like you think about that with our current tech. So like we are not even remotely close to being spiritually enlightened enough to deal with alien tech or whatever this technology could be if we have it. So, you know... It could be a good idea to keep it hidden. I mean, I understand it. It's not like, it's like, why would they do that? Why would they do this? It's like, it makes total sense why they would. Um, you know, we can't handle mostly the stuff we have right now. <laughs> we could barely handle, you know, uh, social media, let alone like magic technology that could warp you to another dimension or something. Who knows? But... I've been thinking a lot about like non-human intelligence and this, uh, the spiritual aspects of it. Cause it's like, you look at even like all these religions speak about non-human intelligence. Like one thing you often hear about people or hear from the people who say, you know, we can't have disclosure, it'll cause chaos in religion and stuff. It's like, actually these religious people already have a box for non-human intelligence. It's really the Western secular people who don't have that conception for anything, for any non-human intelligence. So they have to have the ET hypothesis. The ET hypothesis is like the secular Western mind's way of conceptualizing a non-human intelligence. But, you know, in, in religions, you have like angels, demons. Um, 
it's it and it's interesting because it does in a sense right now our world is crazy and it feels like we're in a spiritual war in a sense yeah i agree i totally agree and i don't think that spiritual war has anything to do with religion i think it has i mean it might because there are different parts of the world where spiritual ideologies are forcing wars to happen um and as part of doctrines you know it's like a part of hamas's whole um whole doctrine is that they don't want any jews to be alive they don't want israel to exist at all so that would be you know definitely a, a, a religious undertone to um to spiritual warfare but i feel like it's happening on a deeper level yes where where we are right now you know and i don't i don't know that i'm afraid of religion being uh, torn to pieces, as some of these people say they're scared of. It almost just seems like th- like this is going to be an evolution of religion, an evolution of spirituality, to where we have more tools, more um, stories, more archetypes, and just more things at our disposal. Um, it's like we're getting more of the picture now, so we can have a more accurate view of what spirituality can be, both individually and as a collective. Yeah, and I, I'd say it's like most definitely this stuff wouldn't um, – or just the acknowledgement that non-human intelligence exists in some fashion among us or interact with us like definitely would not disrupt religion because, as I said, there's already boxes for this. Like there are people in high positions of power in the U.S. government, Christians, that um, they don't want anything – they think this is demonic. So they say – like they truly believe – that this is demons, that this is the d- demonic, you know, don't, we don't want to touch this, you know, and that's what it is to them. Um, so, you know, there's already all these categories in all different forms of religion. Like, have you ever heard of the jinn? Yes. So in Islam, they have this um, concept of the jinn, which is a non-human intelligence. And if you talk to like a Muslim scholar or you know, anybody who actually practices truly, they would tell you probably what we're dealing with is the jinn. And see, this is pretty much the same for all Abrahamic religions. Um, they're all just like kind of different flavors of the same thing, basically. Like the stories mostly are like uh, Christianity and uh, and Islam is like so close. I mean, um but the jinn, it's like in, in Islam, they believe, and this is interesting to me because this has been around for so long, these ideas. They believe that there is uh, basically our world and overlapping it, not somewhere else, there's like the spirit realm, the spirit world. Depending on your perspective of it, people would say it's like, oh, the demonic realm. Or, but there is this other place that is inhabited by entities. And jinn is one of those entities that inhabit this other world and they have the ability to cross into our world and go back into their world and see jinn are like they're unique they're not like uh like for instance like angels because see everybody even most people they hear jinn i don't know if you would if this is like what you thought of when you hear this is like a negative connotation like evil that's That's like generally the idea right but the interesting thing about the jinn is that they're not necessarily evil see like, for instance, angels are ultimately good, according to religion, because they, they actually don't have free will. They're completely under God's will. 
So like we, they would say we have free will. The angels do not. So they, they don't choose to, to do good or bad. They are purely in God's will. But the jinn are free willed like us. So you talk to people um, who know about this and they'll tell you that actually since they have free will just by that very sentiment that there are jinn that are good too. Um, and see all this stuff kind of aligns, you know, if I were, a, if I were a Muslim, I would be looking at this and saying, this is the jinn. See, the jinn can shapeshift. They can, you know, show themselves as anything they want as that, um, they can present themselves in any way. They can, um, put thoughts in your mind, uh, telepathy. So that's a, a phenomenon that happens with non-human intelligence, UFOs, etc. So there's like a lot of, um, interesting stuff that ties this into religion and that's just one more like uh lens you can view this from and it's in my opinion it's just as legitimate as any other i don't see any reason to um to think that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is any more legitimate than uh, a religious perspective they're both just different lenses to view it through yeah they're they're both in the sky we're looking up at them they have ultra power, you know, they redefine what we believe to be possible. And it seems to me that there may be a new religion forming um, in terms of, or again, as I, as I put it before, it's like an evolution of religion because I feel like a lot of these religions that we're speaking of have, have been speaking about and describing UFO experiences throughout history. A lot of it, as you said, angels, um, and a lot of what you said really reminds me of DMT because you were saying, you know, there's like this overlaying, um, like spiritual reality that exists on top of ours and it can break its way into our reality. We can break through into its reality, just apply the requisite chemical and we're there. And, you know, it, what's interesting too, it's like, I think a reason why a lot of, uh, religious people think it's demonic um, is because a lot of uh, people who like, for instance, like Jack Parsons, Aleister Crowley, these people were occultists and in the occult, you can, this is how it goes. They say that you can communicate with these beings and you can get information, downloads. You can do this stuff through the occult and just by nature, the nature of it being a cult, that's demonic from the, you know, standard Christian view. That's like, you know, don't touch us devil stuff. And um, it's interesting. It's just like, it's, it's such a, a deep story that's happening. And there's so many different ways to view it. But like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the Aleister Crowley. He, he made a drawing. I forget the, he was in contact with a being. I forget his name. It's like a short name, like three letter name. But he was in contact with this being. And there's a famous like, sketch of it he drew the being and it's interesting because it looks just like it looks pretty much like a gray alien it has like a big head it has more human-like eyes but a little bigger and wider um but it's interesting now like you see that from decades and decades and decades ago and it's like the same thing we're kind of seeing now and uh so i i do actually believe that there is a link between the occult and this phenomenon because I mentioned Jack Parsons before. He's the the father of rocketry, basically. Um, he claims that you know he got the information to build rockets and all this incredible science and mathematics from entities. 
And like Jack Parsons and Aleister Crowley would go out into the middle of the desert and perform these weird occult rituals. And they were deep into this occult stuff. So um, there's a definite connection. And even like on the uh, on a smaller level, like there are a lot of people that report once they dive into the occult, they start seeing, you know, it's like you're opening a door for these type of beings if they are good, evil. Who really knows? We have no idea. Um, one of the things that people believe about these beings, too, like if they were, let's say, demonic, they could, you know, because people have experiences, right, with entities, and, you know, they might get a message, and then they speak it to other people, and they tell people about the message that they received, and they just believe it to be true. It's like, I, I saw one of them, and they said this. They said that they were from space, so that's what they are. They're space aliens. But if they are evil, if they are demons, if they're jinn, Jinn are tricksters. Um, they could be lying to you. Um, a lot of people in from a religious perspective think that they are lying, and the ultimate goal of these type of beings is to convince us, this is from a religious perspective, to convince humanity that they are our gods, that they created us. Because for, for them, that would be the biggest F you to God ever. It would be a spit in the face of God to say that, no, there is actually no God. God, God doesn't exist. They are the gods. They created us. They're the, they're the reason for all of this. And there's like, but it's if you really... think about it, though, like that doesn't really say much because the idea of God would be above the idea of any type of alien that lived outside of our dimension or outside of our, our world, right? Right. But from a religious perspective, it does say something because, you know, from the religious perspective, God created man. Or I guess it wouldn't delegitimize God as a concept. No, or absolutely not. As the creator not. of man, you, as you said, yeah. And was. I was just talking to someone about this same thing. It's like for me, you know, if the Anunnaki created us or if any type of being genetically manipulated something on Earth and created, you know, humanity, that doesn't change the fact that there is something that creates all exactly you know, anything you create was created by god by proxy you know <laughs> mm -hmm. um but yeah so it, do you do you think yeah. that it's possible we've been like being guided throughout history from second one all the way up until now by whatever this non-human intelligence is because you know you you kind of bring up some people who have had this idea of the muse, I know uh, Diana Pasalka talks about it in her book Encounters that uh, both of that you read and I'm, I'm currently reading. Um, <clears throat> is it possible that that's what people are tapping into? Like, not even tapping into, but they're receiving messages from some other intelligence that's guiding us up to... I mean, it, it, it's like, it's hard to accurately determine what is the possible motivation or end goal of what we could be being guided toward, but it almost seems like it's possible that we are being guided by a non-human intelligence towards something. We're building toward whatever it is that might be uh, the goal of whatever this intelligence is. Yeah, and I think that, like you mentioned, where it's guiding us, I think that it, there's a good chance that these entities have like free will as you would call it like so for instance there could be um we could be being pulled in multiple directions you know that's why like i think that there's a lot more wisdom 
in um, religion than people think regarding this topic. I mean, like angels, demons, like good and evil, jinn have free will. So it's like there could be like like a spiritual war is what I'm saying. Like so, there could be forces pulling us toward you know what we would consider the the ultimate good, and then other forces from these entities pulling us you know down. You ever heard? You know the uh, prophet Solomon. Have you heard of Solomon? I have, but I'm not too familiar with him. So this is the interesting thing about like the occult too. It's like so supposedly Solomon was this prophet, and his power was Solomon. Because remember, I, I mentioned how there are like basically two realms, two worlds: our realm and then the realm of these entities, uh, whatever they may be. Supposedly Solomon had the power of both realms. So he could reach into and commune with that realm and, you know, and our realm. And um, so he was like super powerful, I guess. And he could command these entities. They would do stuff for him. He was influenced by them. And they say that it, it's like the, the occult is so crazy. Who knows? But they say that Solomon had all of his secrets, like, what we would consider the occult today, like a lot of the secrets of what he was doing and the nature of these realms that were buried under Solomon's temple. And then supposedly what happened as the story goes is the Knights Templar dug up these secrets under Solomon's temple. So the Knights Templar got a hold of these secrets and that's kind of how the occult was, uh, brought into like these secret societies and they have power over these realms or at least knowledge of them. And, you know, and then it goes from, you know, the Knights Templar to, you know, different societies and these little secret societies that could possibly still exist today and have more knowledge about these realms, these beings, whatever. And it's just really fascinating. Is this the Holy Grail that people talk about? Because it seems like that would be Quite yeah. the grail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have power over... Uh... Yeah, it's interesting. I just started like researching this a bit, so I'm not like super uh, fluent with it yet. So I'm, I'm trying to dive deep into it because it is just so fascinating. Um, and I just find it like... It's kind of ridiculous in my opinion that we have so many ancient texts, like religious texts, spiritual texts, from Sumer to Islam, Christianity, all these different... Uh, text and they talk about these type of things they do their this wisdom does talk about this type of stuff and we just disregard it i mean in the west we are just so secularized and like kind of embedded in a very specific mode of thinking that we disregard it but i think that there even if it's you know i'm not saying these things are all true the religious perspective but i would imagine that there is some form of wisdom and truth within it so I think it's worth looking at. And I, I think a lot of people, including myself, I ignored this kind of perspective for the most part. I remember hearing um, from people in interviews that are deep into the topic of UFOs that people in our government um, think this is demonic. And I'm like, ah, oh, so stupid. It's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to look into it. And um, But it is worth looking into. Not that it is demonic, but that there could be some truth about this phenomenon hidden within these ancient texts. But my point basically is that there is, I, in my opinion, I ignored the whole religious perspective uh, on UFOs. I've always, at least more recently in life, held respect for religion and, and 
understood that there is deep wisdom within it. And it's not, you know, just uh, fairy tales or nonsense. Um, but it took even longer for me, even though I had that respect growing, to allow it to inform the UFO phenomenon for me. Because I think that there has to be some knowledge within these traditions about this. I mean, they talk about non-human intelligence. You know, that doesn't exist in, in science. So, Yeah, there's definitely a connection. And I think there's a connection. The more you look into everything, the more you find it, you the more the the more you find that it's connected to everything else. Absolutely. Um, and I think that this has, uh, the UFO phenomenon has a connection with religion, has a connection with the occult, has a connection with psychedelics, um, has a connection with science and nature and space. Technology. I, I, I don't yep. think. Yeah, I don't think that there's any separation between anything. And the more you look into this kind of stuff, the you know, the more that I'm confident in that. And that's like a an exercise I'll do, like a mental exercise I'll do every now and again. It's like where you just pick like a single object and kind of just connect it. You can connect every, anything to anything. Like every they, everything is so interconnected, it's insane. And I think a lot of people don't really think about it that way or don't realize it. I know I didn't for the longest time. And now as I'm learning and, you know, working forward, I am starting to see the interconnectedness everywhere. And um, another interesting thing about the UFO phenomenon and non-human intelligence, whatever it is, it's like you talked about guiding us, but ultimately it is a teacher is teaching us because it is forcing us to question things and it's forcing us to see interconnectedness. So like you said, it touches everything. It might take someone to see that within the UFO phenomenon to realize it amongst everything else. You know, it's like, because it, it's it's really true, like what you said, that the UFOs, it, it touches everything. Like if you, and so anybody who truly dives into UFO, uh, the UFO field and non-human intelligence and really truly digs into it, and starts looking, you will spread out into like, especially like spirituality, I think is a huge part. Like you will start to spread out into these other fields and like investigate this whole other side of reality that we've kind of been suppressing. Yeah. And you know, it seems that the UFO phenomenon is one of the more powerful aspects of life and the mystery that allow people to latch on to and adopt some of the ideas of spirituality, science, religion. I mean, there's some people who are absolute atheists who have no curiosity, who have no who, who don't have that fire within them to understand the world, then they see a UFO and that all changes. So why is that, you know? It's the same thing with the psychedelic, it's the same thing with you know, people who find God in other ways. It's like the fact that this is a, a very reliable means to find spirituality and to, to ignite your curiosity says something very, very significant just in, its, in itself. And I think it's like a lot of us, like, you know, especially when we first dive into the subject, we kind of think of the UFOs, non-human intelligence of like, it's like maybe just this weird thing in our reality. But 
there's a chance I think about how it could be like so fundamental to our lives at all times. Um, like for instance, you look at humanity in in the in our modern history, just like the modern era of what we know about history. It's like you see like the dark ages, like you see humans kind of doing the same stuff for a long time. And then, you know, within like the last hundred years, it's just boom, skyrockets, just insane. The technology that out of nowhere we just have, like, it's just night and day. It's like, seriously, like two different species, the stuff we're doing now compared to, you know, even 50 years ago, but let alone like 200, it's like night and day. And it's even crazier because you think about this, like how, how much we've changed with technology and our understanding. And then you look at the key people who brought those things about and you ask them where they got their ideas and they tell you it's from non-human intelligence. Like, what does that mean? So that this isn't just like a, a big foot in the woods or like, oh, it's kind of cool and fun to look at. Like, this might be the very most important thing that's happening ever. Like, all of the stuff that we have branches from like these guys like Jack Parsons and these other scientists that either say that they get their information from a non-human intelligence. A lot of these uh, uh, rocketry people and... um on top of it, you have like the people who claim to contact with the muse. I mean, I don't know what the correlation between the two might be, but it's like, regardless, they're both like huge sources of human creativity, uh, innovation and knowledge. And it's all coming from a lot of it is coming from ideas that were stemmed from a non-human intelligence. Yeah, I mean, artists say this all the time. Comedians, you know, anybody who's being creative says this constantly that they get their ideas from the ether, the muse, the whatever it may be. And artists oftentimes drive and push culture in different directions. So you can see this behind, you know, as being a driving force behind culture, as being a driving force behind science, and as being a driving force, you know, behind religion and spirituality in general. Because think about the, the idea of a prophet. A prophet is someone who can basically hear the voice of God. The voice mm -hmm. of God comes down and tells them something, and then they relay it to the, the community or the tribe or whatever it may be. I mean, all these things are way too familiar to not be connected. Exactly. And I, I'm pretty sure uh, this—I don't know if this was the Quran or the Hadith, but in, in some Islam or Islamic uh, tradition— I'm pretty sure this is true, that they say that um, actually the jinn were the ones to teach humanity music, that the these beings showed up and actually gave music to humanity, um, which is, you know, crazy. It's the same thing with the music. It's like a, something outside of us that is feeding us creativity and innovation. And almost, you know... Even people that aren't in like involved with thinking about things in this way, like a muse or a, a, a interdimensional being, whatever. Like most people who have um, like massive insights or like uh, great creativity, they often will say um, that it felt like it came from like nowhere. That it, they didn't do it; it just happened through them. So it's like a common thing amongst just you know, regular people to feel that or say things like that. 
Yeah, I know. I wonder even if the idea to start to perform art in the first place, you know, go back to the cave paintings and stuff, maybe it was put into their minds at that point in time too. Um, because if they would have contacted some sort of non-human intelligence and gotten their ideas of creativity from the ether or from whatever that may be, they'd really have no way of relaying that information because they didn't have the types of language that we have to convey information and to convey ideas. So they wouldn't have had any sort of means of documenting where they got their idea from or why they began to create art to begin with. And like how I mentioned with the, the, in the, like the story supposedly says that, that we received music from a non-human intelligence. Well, they were also, that also like led to dancing. I guess it was like music and dance came from these entities. And if you look back at, um, like the most ancient shamanic cultures, like you'll see this in visionary in grand, uh, Graham Hancock's book. Um, these like super ancient shamanic cultures, like thousands and thousands of years back. If you look at their cave paintings, it depicts a lot of dance, dance rituals. And, um, so what these people were doing back then, these like shamanic tribes, they would alter their conscience, their consciousness through dance. They would, um, have like a group and a shaman and they would do these like dance rituals for like 40 hours like you'd have to do it for a really long time and supposedly through this dance and like the exhaustion i guess the the nose of the shaman would start to bleed and this is depicted in a lot of cave art um and then the shaman the shaman would be transported to the spirit realm so like even just say it were true that dancing was given to us from a non-human intelligence that is verifiably a technology that is used to enter the spirit realm as far as from the shamanic perspective so they would do these dances or it's just the shamans usually would be the ones to enter and um it's it, it just seems you know as we mentioned before it's all very interconnected yeah shamanism in general is very steeped in this type of thing you know they talk about the spirits they talk about the intelligence that they come into contact with and that makes me think like is it possible that nature is a vehicle for for these non-human intelligences to communicate with us? I mean, this would bring in, you know, ayahuasca, it would bring in mushrooms, it would bring in any psychedelic substances that come from the earth, um, or any way that the earth itself could be communicating with with humanity. Um, again, I bring up Diana Pasolka in her latest book. She talks about this like universal vibration that is the language of the earth the language of animals the language of the universe it's like a vibration that we can tap into so that we can understand um, what's happening on like a much deeper level so that kind of reminds me of of this concept that we could be you know they could be trying to contact us through many ways maybe that's what we're we're seeing when we do see a ufo we're we're seeing an attempt to to contact us. We're seeing an attempt to convey some sort of information. And I, I find it interesting too, that um, is it's, it is my experience, but also you could read, it's like many people's experiences, like that once they begin looking into this stuff, um, it actually starts to appear more, which I find really fascinating and strange. Um, 
there's some aspects about being open to it, I think, that affects its reality. And that also brings to mind synchronicities. It almost feels like synchronicities are like an intentional way of whatever this thing is as like telling us, hey, you're on the right path. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm gonna show the I'm gonna show you these unimaginable coincidences that have deep meaning to your life and uh as an indication to tell you like you're on the right path, you're doing the right thing. And uh it, Diana Pasolka, like in her new book, she talks a lot about synchronicities too and how it is so connected to this phenomenon. Like it's not just like it's like there is a clear connection with uh synchronicities and UFOs and whatever this stuff is that's going on. Um and it's weird like in the last year I've had two UFO sightings, which is crazy because for basically 30 years of my life I've really only had I've had four my whole life and two were in the last year. And both of them I was thinking about UFOs when it happened which is very, you know, it's just what are the chances? I mean, I am a person that does think about this stuff a lot, but it was weird. It, it triggered that synchronicity feeling. Like the last one I saw, I was walking to work right down the road at like uh, 4.45 a.m., still dark out. And like I had the thought, like the feeling of like, let's see a UFO. And then it one went right by. Like it was a strange, you know, and it, it was not, you know, you know, it's hard to tell other people that you saw a real UFO, but it was it was like something uh, anomalous. But, you know, I thought about it and, you know, there it was. It's very and I know, you know, you told me about the uh, sighting that you had more recently, like a, what, within a year, maybe. And you said uh, a similar thing, right? Yeah, it was it was within a year and it was like 20 seconds or so after less. It was probably about 10 seconds after I said, let's summon a UFO, and then the thing comes, and it's like, the the amount of things that have to go right for that to happen as a coincidence are just strange, man. And again, you know, we talk about these synchronicities, and, um, you know, even Carl Jung goes deep into synchronicity and doesn't really bring up UFOs, you know? So again, th this is the connection between non-human intelligence, spirituality. That's why I like the the phrase non-human intelligence because it divorces it from the exclusivity of being aliens who pilot UFOs. Yeah. It it broadens the idea of of what non-human intelligence could possibly be, which connects it to literally every possible thing that we can imagine. Yeah, I think the ET hypothesis is is way too limited and it's very surface level. And it just fits so perfectly into like the secular Western mind of, of like scientism and atheism. It fits too perfectly in that. And in the phenomenon doesn't present that way. It's it's far stranger than than just, you know, some type of being like us from a different planet. Um, but you mentioned Carl Jung. He did write a book on UFOs. And did he, he got in Yeah, I haven't read it, but I guess like from the very little bit I know about it is he got into UFOs and he had this whole, you know, crazy young idea of it. Like it, it's like a modern archetype. Like it's something with the human mind. And throughout time, he ended up 
like towards the end, I guess he completely changed his tune. He's like, this is some real shit going on. Like, oh, real you know what? I do yeah. know what you're talking about now. I think mm-hmm. he even theorized it being a projection as well. Right. Like almost as if we are seeing it um, as an archetype, like a living archetype, you know, right. and the development of our of our subconscious and our collective consciousness is what determines exactly what it is we're able to perceive it as, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's basically, from what I understand, like what he wrote about a lot. And then, but I think, he, like I said, he kind of even changed his tune a little bit on that and kind of lended it a little more what we would call reality. Um, yeah, but it's fascinating. It, it, it's also not a coincidence that like a lot of the brightest people uh, have are uh, they are experiencers, which is super interesting. Like I keep mentioning, like Jack Parsons, like a lot of the the person that um there was like a woman who wrote out like all the mathematics that got us to the moon, like just just piles of pages of like mathematics that got us to the moon, and she said that she got that from you know a non-human intelligence, whatever, some type of channeling, I guess you'd call it. Uh, you just recently bought um a Terrence McKenna book, right? Did it? Uh, and it, I think it was like a two-in-one. Did that book include the Invisible Landscape? No. So the Invisible Landscape is essentially Terrence McKenna's uh accounting of his trip to La Chorrera with Dennis, his brother, where they um basically discovered the psilocybin mushroom. You know what? It might be. I didn't read the book yet, but yeah, it sorry. might be. Yeah. Um, and he talks about an experience that he had near the end of their time at La Chorrera where he was sitting on top of a mountain and a massive UFO like flies over him. So again, it's like all these people who have these innovative ideas, some of the smartest, most intelligent, innovative people of our time, like you said, they're experiencers. Um, and, you know, the thing that makes it like even weirder and lends me to believe like a spiritual aspect or a non-physical, I don't know, something stranger than just uh, purely E.T. Um, like it, Graham Hancock talks about, uh, I think it might have been his first ayahuasca journey, but he's I think it happened multiple times for him. In an ayahuasca journey, he would see like what we would imagine an E.T. looks like. He would see these type of beings, and he would see uh like a UFO like a machine which is really crazy because you know a lot of people who do ayahuasca or or smoke DMT they often talk about like how ayahuasca is more um nature oriented it's like very natural like the earth uh you know the animals and a lot of people describe DMT as like almost technological, like you're in a the motherboard of some type of machine or something. It's like geometric and you know same chemical, but a different experience. Um, so I, I think I remember Graham Hancock talking about this, and he was like, "It was so strange to be in an ayahuasca journey, and it's like you'd have like the serpent. He would always have an experience with the serpent. There would be you know all the earth, and then something totally out of place. Boom, a UFO." Like a machine just didn't fit into the ayahuasca realm, but he he talks about having that experience. Yeah, very strange. You know, it almost seems to me that the DMT is 
the technology. And then, you know, with ayahuasca, depending on where you go, especially, there are so many different mixtures. There's so many different plant alkaloids that become active. Um, so maybe the plant alkaloids that become active are able to sort of harness the technological power of the DMT and use it to its advantage to send us a message about it, about Gaia, about Pachamama, about, you know, Mother Earth. We need to have like a resurgence of like, uh, like let's say yoga or something like there needs to be like a Harvard professor of the technology of the human being, the technology. I think because uh, this is talked about with like super ancient cultures. I've mentioned this before that they would, you know, maybe they didn't have the same things we have as far as, you know, our technology, our little uh, machines and stuff computers but they studied the technology of the human being like if we put so much time and effort into understanding the human body and what you can do with it i think it's you know endless i mean the moment you try a psychedelic and you see what your mind is capable of what the human is capable of experiencing it really blows everything apart and you know in the west we just don't have anything really like a school or you know some type of ritual to go through to you know work that technology and learn more about it it's basically just a purely independent venture in the west for the most part there's no structure yeah. you know there's no I, like group effort to try to like compare notes and uh that uh matthias de, Ste de stefano um is uh, the guy that goes on Aubrey Marcus's podcast and he um, claims to remember past lives. And then he said that he had a life as a woman in chem, which was like uh, the end of Atlantis, like post Atlantis, I guess. And he said that their whole life, it was like about using the technology of the human body that like they would have these, temples and each temple would be about like basically working each chakra or something and you would do specific work with your body in each temple you would take care of your body in a specific way that would allow you to use your technology your body in a way that we have totally lost or just forgotten about it, you know it makes me think about the cyclical nature of of our reality um you think about how much the ancients were obsessed with the stars and the sky and the cycles. And you hear about like the great cycle and all these different, you know, uh, astrological cycles that happen. And they were really in tune with that type of thing. And it makes me wonder if like, you know, we go through these cycles and it has true changes upon the human being and what are, what that iteration of the human expression will be. Like we're in a version now that just happens to look like insane technological advancements as far as manipulating matter and creating whatever. But, you know, maybe in 5,000 years, it'll be something totally unimagined. Whereas, you know, maybe 5,000 years ago, it was consciousness, awakening, that type of thing. And we have no conception as to what is going on up there. We can look at stuff. We can measure stuff, but we don't actually understand what's happening in space. So for us to try to understand what these cycles are 
and how we relate to them, I think are, are two different things. I, because, you know, we could discuss, you know, what we feel like these cycles mean in terms of us and how we evolve and the changes that they might make on what our civilization looks like. But to even come close to understanding any of that, I think we have to look at we have to look at the cosmos on a much, much deeper level and try to understand what these things are doing, why they're doing it. Like even just if you look at our solar system, what the hell is the sun? What is our solar system? Why is this orbit even happening? Is that is this it almost seems like like it's a cell, you know? There's like a, a very intricate and perfect system by which this cell works. And the planet Earth, where the mitochondria are something, you know, we're a right. particular part of the cell, just a piece of the cell. And in this piece of the cell, you know, weird little dusts of life forms rise. And again, like a, you know, the only way we can truly understand our place within the cell, within the universe of the cell, is to to get a bigger and a better insight on what the cell is, what the universe actually is. Um, and I feel like we limit ourselves in our culture, man. You know, with, with the the way we look at non-human intelligence, the way we look at spirituality and the mystery in general, I think we discount a lot of what we're we're seeing and a lot of what is trying to be shown to us. Yeah, and I always find it crazy to deny um like intelligent like intelligence like an intelligent creation that this whole thing is just i don't find it to be random at all but you know it, it's just crazy like you mentioned the sun and it's like we it's literally like a nuclear reactor just sitting at the absolute perfect distance to bring this this ball called earth that is just life it is just consciousness as experience and if it weren't for that reactor sitting at the perfect spot to make everything perfect, it's crazy. I mean, uh, I'm reading uh, Alien Information Theory right now, Andrew Gallimore, and he, he's basically talking about uh, a perspective on the nature of reality and um, kind of comparing reality to code. Like at the bottom, basically, and I agree with this aspect of it, it's just like um, it's... It, it's everything is just complexifying. It's get becoming more and more complex the further you go up. And, you know, once you go to the the spatial level, like the uh, you know, solar system or whatever, there it's just forming more complex systems over and over again. And, you know, you talk about how we, you know, in our modern age think about things like and like what is reality and even as simple as like what reality is made of, we're so stuck in a materialistic like uh way of thinking of just like there's matter and everything is made up of that matter until it builds something else that's more matter and more matter and more matter so that's like a, a very specific framing of what you're seeing of what reality is rather than i i've mentioned this to you before i believe uh there's like other ways you can view reality as it that doesn't have to be material like um instead of saying that i'm made of uh you know, molecules or, or particles or atoms, whatever you want to say, I'm made of that. It's like, what is actually happening? And I believe is that it, that everything is made of holons. And I think I've told you about holons before. It's just 
everything is made of holons, and a holon is a hole that is made up of parts, wherein each part is another hole that is made of more parts that are made up of holes, you know, and so on. It's just fractal in nature, and it goes down. And it doesn't have to be, like, a physical thing. It's more mental. It's like it's, it, we are just composed of holes that are composed of parts, and it's just fractals all the way down. And well, it's both it's both physical and mental, and it's both inside and outside, because you know we look at inside the body or outside the body or inside the earth or outside the earth or inside this microphone or outside the microphone, and like those things don't exist. And I think this hold on hypothesis is a very good representation of the fractal nature, as you said, of reality, um, and everything works everything fits within that paradigm correctly. And it right. also, then I, I like my, my mind goes to then. So like, what are the spaces between the holes and the parts, you know, like, is that, is that literal space? Are, are, are we like, when we look up into space and we see the solar system and we see the galaxy, like is a solar system, a hole, made of parts and then the galaxy is the whole made of the made of those parts and the universe is the whole you know what i mean like it right and it that's almost, what yeah go ahead it, it just it makes me wonder about the space between the holes and the space between the parts and it's it's a very a very trippy thought well and that's the thing that's even interesting about like the space between because like you said there's no uh inside or outside like and it's kind of the same with in between like everything as if even if you just look at it as um, like modern science, like nothing is not touching, you know, like it, it, it's all like it's air molecules to my hand molecules or whatever. Like so that it's all literally in that perspective touching anyways. And um, and you even think about, you know, someone like Donald Hoffman and he talks about how space time isn't fundamental which i agree with and he considers it to be kind of like uh not really important at all as far as like the fundamental aspects because i guess it falls apart at a relatively uh quick rate as far as when you go further down in scale they're just uh time and space cease to really exist or be applicable at all um so it, I don't know. It just it's a, very interesting to think about. Yeah, and these these concepts to me, especially the the whole on concept and Donald Hoffman's uh, ideas of reality, they just drive home the fact that this thing, us, everything around us, it's just all one. It's all yeah, just one. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean. Nothing exists. If you if you take away like one piece of something, it ceases to be that thing. Basically, like for instance, like you look at like a car. I don't know. Let's use a car as an example. A car, you know, as a whole, it's like okay, that's what a car is. But if you take away oxygen, it's no longer a car because it can't combust and you know move. If you take away one of the spark plugs, it's no longer a car. If you take away one piece of anything, it removes. Even if you take away a piece of something that doesn't seem to make the thing what it is, I don't know. It's just it's there's a really high connectivity that that has to be in place. Yeah, because 
everything is everything and every every piece every whole needs all of the parts to make the whole or the whole is no longer the whole it's almost like if you think of it as a mandala you can't like take a piece of the mandala away because when you take a piece of the mandala away you're compromising the entire symmetrical structure of the shape itself mm -hmm. so you, to, you can't take anything away it is all a, one yeah to take a piece away the whole thing is gone or the whole thing changes when you take a piece away you morph it all you it's almost it's almost like the law of the the law of entropy right it's like you can't take away or add to all you can do is change and alter because mm. you're just you're just altering the one and that's like a, a very like you know it's well known but it's like very crazy thing about reality is like how um, energy can't be created or destroyed. Like is we're that, dealing it, with, is that the law of entropy? I think so. It might that's be. What, I don't okay. Know. I might but be wrong about way. that, but that's what I was getting at when I said that. But yeah. yeah, but either way, it's like, we're dealing with one piece of something, you know, like, cause you can't take away from it or add to it. It's all just going to transform. And, um, it makes you think, uh, yeah, I don't, it's just, it's a crazy, it's, it's a very, uh, simple thing that i feel like we learn at a pretty young age i think i've heard that or like you know it's a, a well-known concept but uh it's really mind-blowing when you think about it yeah it it takes everything that you're brought up at least in our culture to believe into question because everything that we believe is very isolated you know our, our culture is very individualistic and you know to me when i think about these concepts as you know, they're, they're unifying. And the more that we can understand these things as a collective, I think the more we're going to bring each other together and hopefully, you know, this can be the beginning of, you know, ending wars and ending, um, you know, conflict. And, and maybe I, you know, I don't like the idea of a one world government by any means, but I do think that we need a collective consciousness shift you know and hopefully these types of, of things you know the experiences that we have with non-human intelligences spirituality psychedelics can can bring us closer to that yeah and like a one world government it's uh it's not inherently a bad thing it's just us humans are so flawed right now we're just we, we aren't ready for that type of unity um there needs to be like a, a grand awakening, um, yeah, something the, like that. The, the shifting it, consciousness has to come yeah. first. And it, it's interesting, uh, just to touch back on the UFO topic a bit. Um, there's like, you know, there's a lot of crazy like lore and weird cliques within the UFO community that all believe weird things. Like there's people that believe in like the reptilians that live underground and these beings do this and whatever. But there's uh, some type of, lore going on right now where they're talking about the year 2027 and mm -hmm. supposedly it's it's talked about a lot even in in like intelligence agencies like there's something that they're interested about happening in 2027 and um some people speculate that it's going to be like oh the aliens are coming they're going to reveal themselves or you know so we need to roll this disclosure out so we're ready for it and um, who knows what it would be there's like another uh, thing people think it's going to be like a great awakening like 
instantly, like everyone's just going to know the truth. Um, just like all our consciousness is just going to shift. And for me, that would be nice. I would love that. But um, I don't feel like uh, it can't be that easy. It's just not that easy. You know, I was just going to You got to put in the yeah. work. You have yeah, to. There, there's a responsibility that we have. There's, there's a reason we have free will. And it's because I think we're, we're tasked with a certain responsibility to evolve our species. Yeah. We're not going to be just handed it. But there are people in like the new age circles that believe that's something that will happen. Maybe not in 2027, but there will, there's supposed to be an event. There's a lot of new age people that believe that. And it's interesting because I, I texted you about this briefly, but uh, like last week I had a dream. And um, in this dream, basically that event happened, which was uh, insane. Very insane. Um, for me, I, I don't know if it's just because since I've taken psychedelics, but definitely since after I've taken psychedelics, in my dreams, I am able to have these mind-blowing, like, awakening experiences. Like, in this dream, uh, it was like a really long, vivid dream, which isn't super unusual for me. I, I often have pretty long dreams, and they're often very vivid, or I recall them very vividly. Um, but it was a long dream, and out of nowhere, you know, at one point I'm in a car driving with somebody. And out of nowhere, the sky turns completely red and it just happened like in an instant. And, you know, the dream is so vivid and it's so real. I'm not lucid, so I don't know this is a dream. I think it's just like I am right now. I'm just like, this is reality. This is life. I'm in a car. Oh, shit, the sky turned red. And then these white lights start like shooting down all over. And instantly, like it happened so fast, I'm thinking, oh, like the sun just exploded or asteroids are falling like this is the apocalypse the world is over i'm about to die and everyone i know and love is about to die so it was like real true horror and fear like just unbelievable like imagine yourself if that actually happened that's how it felt it was just the worst and it happened so fast and it went from like these white lights raining down like thick white and they kind of like swirled and started looking like psychedelic and this was like five seconds this happened started happening and then it got brighter and brighter and brighter and almost like too bright to see and it was just like a whoosh and I basically whited out and for like a single moment just like the tiniest moment you could imagine just an instant a single instant it was like a full-blown like awakening experience like it to brightness to just everything just and it wasn't like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like, it was a single instant. So it, it just happened like that. Like, and it's funny because I don't believe in any great awakening theory like that would happen to the planet. But that's exactly what this was. And it was an instant and it just shifted everything. And I was like, it, the sky went back to normal. I looked to the person next to me just like, and they were like fully awake now. They're like, looking at me like we understood everything. And, you know, the dream ended shortly after. But it was basically a flash. I think they even in, in the new age, I think they even call it something like the flash. I don't know, but it was something like that. And, um, yeah, it just, it was such a powerful experience. The only thing I could compare it to is like a, a, uh, a psychedelic experience just condensed into a single moment of understanding, but it was powerful feeling 
and like it, yeah it was what i would imagine that type of experience would be if you know the sun decided to enlighten us all for no reason <laughs> amazing well you know maybe there is hope that the sun will enlighten us <laughs> yeah uh, hopefully it doesn't burn us alive in the process but... yeah <laughs>